I'm your host, Tina Kay, and with me tonight is our guest host, um, the magical Finn O'Malley. Welcome back, Finn. Hey, Tina. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. I am so excited to have you here. I know that uh, Nicole couldn't be here tonight and we're thinking about her, but she's enjoying sandy beaches and warm sun and probably some drinks with umbrellas. So yeah, we like those. We support that. Nicole, have one for us, please. <laughs> so what's been going on in your magical world, Finn? Oh, what has been going on? Usually I think about this and I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, baseball, baseball is always baseball, your life. Right. Yes, I do. I do have plenty of baseball. Um, I'm in edits of the new book. So that's been fun bringing all three stories together and we're working on them and just building those little fine lines, which has been super yeah. fun. So maybe you should clue us in on on that project that you're working yes. on. Yes, I guess not. Yeah, not many people know about that. No. So this new one is three authors um, and we have Faye sisters who own a bar and as well, because there must be magic, op- operate a magical portal underneath the bar. And each story is told from one of the sisters. So we each have a perspective of one of the sisters and it becomes a whole story in itself. So I am so excited too. Like I know I fell in love with your demons. So I know there are things I will fall in love with this one. So absolutely. Excellent. Well, I am super excited about our podcast tonight. We're going to be talking a book called um, Be Less Dickish. And as you know, I've recently started dating again. And so um, it, you're supposed to say, oh, wow, Tina. That's I, I, awesome. Oh, wait. Oh, yes. It's fantastic, Tina. <laughs> I feel like bad for you. For you're dating right? again. Yeah. I was just thinking about how Be Less Dickish uh, falls right into dating. Well, <laughs> because it's like a dating handbook. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. How now I'm completely more aware. Flag. <laughs> I love it. No, the book is fantastic. I got halfway through, probably a little bit more than half. Yeah. Actually. Yes, it's uh, so good. I think, and and we'll get into this in the interview, but um, just starting this book in and th- having a certain perception of mind when I started reading it and then real, I actually fell in love with the characters. So, um, towards the end of the book, I was cheering them on. And, and so, uh, we're going to talk about this book, be less dickish, but, um, yes. it's a book just for the listeners who don't know yet. Um, the book explains why men do what they do and what the hell is going on before they are triggered. So I think, Ooh, uh, for all thanks. of our listeners, this is going to be an excellent discussion. Um, we have the authors here with, here with us today. So Yay! I'm going to read their bios real quick here. Um, David Coates, he saw men like those featured in Be Less Dickish while practicing psychotherapy in San Francisco. He's originally from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. 
He enjoys crawfish boils and organic kale salads. When triggered, he tends towards the dick and pussy quadrants in the Be Less Dickish model. So that's going to be fun to talk about. He currently resides in places warmer than San Francisco and continues to travel, write, teach, and support men, women, and couples in figuring things out. Then we also have Corey Kilpack, um, who is Coates' client before collaborating on Be Less Dickish. He worked on a... He worked on a trawler in the Bering Sea and has been a missionary, investment banker, hedge fund manager, tinner, alcoholic, douchebag, dick, asshole, and a pussy. <laughs> he is married to Kelly, who is also with us tonight. Um, Corey is also a dad, a grandpa, an entrepreneur, and just a regular fella who enjoys restoring old Lamborghini tractors with his family and friends. And the lovely Kelly Kilpack, she was intimately involved in the development of the characters. And she and Corey had been high school sweethearts. But Kelly had one hell of a journey before they reunited and married 31 years later. So welcome to the show, everyone. Thank you. Welcome. <laughs> Good to be here. This is like a party. I know. Like I we've never. We usually just have one other person, and now there's like yeah. a plethora of us. Well, you, guys, like, you, guys, you guys are outnumbered tonight. So. I, <gasps> <laughs> we are. We might be the ones getting interviewed by the time this is over. Right? Wait a minute. Oh yep. my gosh! So, how are each of you? How, David? How are you doing? I feel good. I feel excited. Like we just launched the book not too long ago. So, you know, this is, uh, we're at the be beginning of the learning curve about, the about new like stuff. being on podcast. Yeah. And oh, awesome. being together in a different context, you know, we were in this cooker writing for the last two or three years and that was such a different world. And now we get to be on the other side of it talking about it. So I'm excited about that. Oh my gosh. Like for sure. I'm in the middle. What you've been thinking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Super exciting for me because I was Dave's client for so many years. And then we were partners as we wrote this book together. But this is really the first time that I get to see someone put him in the pressure cooker and put him on the couch and ask him. Oh, now it's going to do. Dave, do you sweat on the couch this time? This is going to yes. be good. <laughs> yeah, I think maybe you should lay down right now. Tell us how you're feeling. I mean, I mean, it was it's it was a taboo move, you know, to pull in a, a client that I loved so much working that's with true. as a client for years. So I can already feel the heat of like. You know, that's what you learn in my profession is you don't do stuff like this. So right away, we're jumping in to talk about the thing. You're like, that you we're doing do. the wrong thing. <laughs> that I did. So, yeah, right? that's definitely a part of the story of the book. And I'm a really powerful part of it. Very yeah. good. Well, um, and welcome, Kelly. We haven't had a chance to hear your beautiful voice yet. Thank you. We're happy. Thanks happy for Thanks for being here. I know you were instrumental in the book as well, uh, coming in with some female perspectives. So uh, looking forward to hearing more about that. Okay. So yeah. David, to get us much needed. 
Yes. Uh, yes sure. Steve and I would have been fine. We had no. this. <laughs> <laughs> Stop being a dick. Women's touch in there. It was, we were on the right track. We were, we were. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> We'll have part two of this podcast with three women talking about <laughs> the success. The reason why the book was successful. <laughs> yeah. Totally. Dave and I were doing great. Doing great. <laughs> so, David, maybe start us off and tell us how did you get here? Yeah, great. So, you know, I started this concept about like 10 years ago. And I just became fascinated when I was listening to, uh, to podcasts or movies about like when someone would use a word, like the guy's a dick or that guy's an asshole or the guy's a prick. I was like, why, why that word and not the other word. And for whatever reason, I was just fascinated with the, with the distinctions between why one word versus another. Right. And there's so many words that you think kind of mean the same thing. Like, Oh, he's a bastard. He's a prick. He's a dick. He's a, Ass hatter. He's, uh, he's a fucker, my right? Favorite word, David. My ass favorite hat? word, ass hat. <laughs> <laughs> in one of my books. You and me. <laughs> and and so for whatever reason, it just uh, wouldn't leave me alone. And also, like people curse a lot in therapy. Like you know, they're free to kind of express themselves. So I my boss that. is a dick, or like this guy's such a fucker. And I I started asking clients, like, uh, tell me more. Like, why a fucker? You know, like, tell me why you saying he's an asshole. Like, and then clients would start unpacking, you know, what they meant by those words. And it was a really rich exploration. So this momentum kind of built of like, huh, there's something here, right? We throw these words around. And also, you know, I got called a pussy a lot as a kid. I wasn't a tough, a tough kid in Southern Louisiana. You know, I, I didn't, you know, guns were too loud and I got seasick when I was fishing. So <laughs> you, know. you failed. I'm just learning this now. Like we should put you on the couch a long time ago. Dave gets so much material. (laughs) Corey's tougher. And so, you know, these words, these words also hurt, you know, and I used them. Uh, They're in my own head. Like if I don't go to the gym, it's like get to the gym, you pussy like a lot in my twenties and thirties. And so (laughs) I'm sure that really gave you the right pep talk to get Right. But, you know, they're but in- we, do. we have a very loud self language that we yes. all use based on our childhood trauma, whatever. And those stick with us for sure. Right. And, how, you know, being a clinician for 15 years, like I got to see the way those words live inside of people. Right. And if you're, you know, if you're too if you're too much, then sometimes you're a dick. If, if you're not enough, you're a pussy. Right. Like no one wants to be seen as a douchebag, kind of an imitator, a poser. So this whole kind of world opened up and I was just fascinated. And I'd get groups of people together and and ask men and women, like, what's the difference? When is a guy being a prick versus when he's being an asshole? So and it was hilarious. Like we laughed a lot. And that might have been the thing where I knew I was on to something that it was really fun. And Corey and Kelly is healthy. Yeah. Well, let's do something meaningful with these words that are usually just really hurtful and destructive. Like I want to take them and take all the intensity of them and make something positive from it. And without speaking for you, Dave, but you have the advantage of seeing these words in that protected environment with you and the client and the couch where you could explore it in a very raw, 
um, situation, right? So where other people might use the same words, especially today, somewhat protective, like, you know, I've said it my whole life, but maybe not today, maybe not here. And and you were in there where the... There were no boundaries in the conversation. And that, I think that really showed up in the manuscript when I got to like, shit, this guy writes with no boundaries. What the hell's wrong with him? <laughs> That's my favorite part, though, is like, bitches, you're just reading that fucker. And I'm like, yeah, he was. <laughs> yeah, there's a there's a congruence, right? When you when you hit the word right, like it's being an asshole. And there are times when only that word resonates as true. And he's not being a dick. Mm-hmm. He's being an asshole. And we all feel it. And that's what I found in doing the research for the book and talking about it with Corey and Kelly. Like the word and the intensity of the word matches the man and the behavior. And when that happens, there's a magic when you read the right word. Like then you, you both are writers. Like, you know, that experience of like, that's mm-hmm. it exactly. And when the, the sentence translates perfectly to experience, like that's super exciting. It is. It's like a full body. Again. It's, I said it, especially as a writer, like yeah. we make sentences. <laughs> we pick the right words. And we've, Finn and I have learned a lot through some uh, writing classes to write juicy. And so the words you picked are definitely juicy. The like it's the juiciest words. <laughs> No, so thinking. now, it, now that we know that Corey was, you know, a past client, how, how did you decide yes. to pick? I'm not sure what archetype he was, but we're going to talk about that. Yeah, Dave, tell him. I, I can't wait to hear. Like, what was my diagnosis? I never read your notes. <laughs> Go ahead and tell him. How did you go? Corey's the right one. (laughs) Right? Oh my God. What's funny is any therapist listening is like, he's got a major confidentiality issue right now. And like, they're tweaking their inside, going, I'm having anxiety. So the, the short answer is I I loved Corey. Like I I and there there's certain clients that just kind of like that just get in. Like, I mean, I, I, I really appreciate all my clients, but some clients are just like, you just kind of get blown open by. And it's an amazing thing about being a therapist is when you get a client for, for me, Corey was one of those clients and the ride that I was able to support him on just changed me, blew me away. And part of the way we would work is Corey would write to me. So Corey would send me these like emails you know, when he was working himself through really intense stuff that were just raw and real and with, without punctuation, but with just so much <laughs> soul and guts. Yes. And uh, so I was really moved by his writing as well. And I realized like, well, his writing and the concept that I'm trying to develop, they have some overlap. I and I didn't want to write a flowery self-help book. I don't like flowery self-help books. That so, wouldn't have worked out very well. No, this no. Is better. I, this is I'd better. I'd be apologizing every time I use the word pussy in the book. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Right, Mom, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm not, Smiley I, face. I love women. Agree. I'm sorry. <laughs> Dave, my writing was just not void of grammar and punctuation. I was missing capitalization too, if I recall. It looked like it looked like E. E. Cummings was drunk. Or something. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, yeah. it, it, 
it wasn't really working out. Like, <laughs> like and yet you still had faith in having you involved in this oh, book. I love it. He was a, he was an amazing writer that wrote from his guts, and that's what I wanted this book to be. And so, you know. I reached as far as I could go on the book. I, you know, I worked on it for seven and a half years before I reached out to Corey and Kelly and it's 140,000 words. It's now 85,000. It was just too much. Like I I was lost. I was lost in it and I sat with it for months. I was like, you're not supposed to do this. Like they tell you when you're taking the ethics exam, like this is what you do. (laughs) <laughs> no, no, but we bad. like breaking the rules on Dare yeah, right. So, and, and That's we hadn't worked together, here. right? And we hadn't worked together for four years, and like I was like, well, technically, it's a two-year, you know, like it, anyway. Technically, I, I'm not breaking the rules. Yeah. Yeah. I told myself like I'm just going to have him read it. You know, I didn't think like they were going to necessarily get involved, but I should have known better when you send something to those two. And, and they get they're <laughs> like, yes. So, and I got the manuscript. I was at Tractor Supply and uh, in Auburn, California. And I get this email from Dave that he's going to send this to me. And I called Kelly at home and I said, uh, are you ready to go on a ride? Because I have a hunch. I have a hunch this is about to be one hell of a ride. And oh. I think. I got the trans the manuscript before I got home from the tractor supply and we printed it out and it's just been one hell of a ride since that day. Mm-hmm. So I set up a desk. I built a desk out in the barn in a horse stall and, and um, <laughs> Like literally, right? That was the best place. I love we that. It, we took a horse, horse stall apart, took the door off the horse, the horse's stall, and built a desk out of. Um, I think we had some old cedar and pallets, and moved a computer and printer out there, and just said, "Here we go." And took one chapter, and off it went. I love it. Now I have to know where did the horse go. <laughs> <laughs> We didn't have horses then, (laughs) but the horse. Just imagining this horse being displaced. It was. It was the whole floor before we moved in the desk in there. The whole floor was covered in Lamborghini parts, all sorted out. Oh, okay. We had to move the Lamborghini out and put the desk in, and away we went. Got it. Much more important thing. Yeah. I love it. So, David, listening to you, uh, the experiences you had with, you know, meeting with different clients and recognizing that there were different archetypes and the importance of those books. So maybe share a little bit more about why this book is so important. Well, that's a, it's, I mean, it's a big question because it, you know, it's, I think it's important to me because I, you know, those words have been brutal to me and I brutalized mm-hmm. myself with them. And like, so for me, it was just like working through layers of my own pain with these, uh, with these words and the limitations of, I think my own expression, right? Like, don't be too big. Don't be an asshole, but don't be a pussy either, but don't be a douchebag, be your own person, but don't be a dick, get in line and conform. Like there's, to me, they represent kind of a box, which limits, uh, limits male expression. And, uh, and I also wanted to have a language about bad male behavior, Mm-hmm. Right. Cause there's so much going on right now culturally. And I was like, there, we want a way to be able to talk about what's going on and be specific. We want men to be able to recognize it. And I wanted women to be able to, to see it in the men that they were with, uh, to see like, wait a minute, I see what's happening here. 
and I can speak to it concisely. Like let's develop a language around spun out triggered behavior because we don't want you to meet, go out to the perimeters. We call it in the book and meet someone when they're acting like a dick and negotiate on their terms. Right. The dick example, it's like, okay, you're, you're feeling like the victim from something I said. So now I have to grovel to you to make you feel better because I wronged you. Well, hold on. We're not, we're going to create a new way of talking about this. So the same patterns and dynamics don't get played out again and again in relationship. Mm-hmm. So the book I, provides a language and a model to track what's happening real time. What I really liked about that is uh, even just how the book opens up at the beginning and recognizes like, uh, the fact that in your when you're in school, you're not getting relationship classes. You're not. You're not. <laughs> no, get, you're, I know. I was like, that is so spot I, on. I and so was one of the things I screenshotted. So I'm gonna throw out because it's perfect. complex emotion. How to navigate them? My my favorite. <laughs> Listening to your intuition and ignoring the bullshit. Um, let's see. You're saying mine and how to tame it. I want these classes. Why can't they be real? (laughs) (laughs) Right. I need them. Right. I mean, that's the thing. Like we didn't get a lot of what we really needed. So we have this sarcastic thing in the book called Dick State University, where you get taught all of these amazing (laughs) classes on how to navigate partnership and sexuality. And then like, where the hell are our hats and shirts and all like don't we we need dick state university hats you <laughs> oh my gosh I, you do we, i would buy one <laughs> yeah, we need to merchandise this yeah we we just merch it up i like it i like it yeah. So part of the book is educational. Like, Hey, we didn't get a lot. We don't know yeah, how to think about as, when we're triggered. We don't know how to think about what's going on. And so we tend to react in these habituated ways. And in the mm-hmm. extremes that leads to being an asshole, pussy, dick or douchebag in our model. And we're saying, hold on, like pause. And there's a whole part of the Can book. We not? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, and that's what I, um, I think I mentioned it maybe at the opening, but just, uh, kind of going into this book with the perception of definitely what those terms meant to me, but through reading the book, feeling this connection to the characters, but also recognizing the importance of connection um, in maybe uh, how past trauma has influenced people to behave a certain way, but also even the, even in all of them, they want to have connection, even if that means treating somebody like shit, you know, being a dick, asshole, douchebag or whatever. Um, but deep down, every, what I liked to that, that you had said was deep down, everybody's core is, is good. We're all good, but we get caught in this being spun out to take us to that perimeter and fall into those archetypes. So talk to us more about that connection. Yeah. I'm going to, and Dave is the expert on connection, but I want to describe something here that you're setting up with your question too. It's that, you know, when I talk about this book with people, they'll say, oh, my dad was an asshole or I was married to an asshole or something, you know, all the <laughs> Piece of shit, maybe. <laughs> and I've, I've asked people a few times, you know, they mention their dad or someone they know or someone they're dating. And, but I'll ask like, did you love him? Like he was an asshole, but you did you still love the guy? And they'll be like, yeah, and he was an asshole. And and I think that that's important and something that we tried to keep in mind in the book is yet yeah, some of this behavior is 
way the fuck outside the lines. Like there's bad and there's Jonah. Like there's there's Jonah in your fucking house. Like you're like, all right, we're like, no, 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 no. But you still, we all have people in our lives. We're like, we, we still want to be connected to them or we were connected to them, but we're trying to explain like, what the hell is going on here? And I think that that was one of the core reasons in keeping dickish in the title is that, that push pull that you were seeing with Eric and the dick. It's like, you know, he, he is selfish and he wants everything to be about him, but he's also looking for some affirmation that it really fucking is about him. And so you're like, Push, pull, push, pull. Like, what, what the hell am I supposed to do with this? Until finally, like, people are like, e- e- yeah, I know what to do. You get out, and I'm you do you over there without me. And and so it was a balance to keep all of that in the book and and show these characters like either absorbing or rejecting connection all along the way. Yeah. Well, and too, like, like I was thinking too, like we all, we all want someone to show up being a dick every once in a while. Like you need to be a dick oh, if you, you want to get things earlier. done. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because yeah, it so, is, go ahead. Yeah. I mean, there's a time and a place for all of these expressions, which we go on into the book. Like the asshole is selfish and shameless. And there are times to be selfish and shameless. I want what I want and I don't care what anyone else thinks. Like that, that is an, a person who is an individual who is doing them unapologetically. And it is vital to have that in relationship. But if you're only being selfish and shameless, all the time, <laughs> if you're only <laughs> inhabiting that, right. you're not so and, great. And I would say they do. They all want connection, Tina, to go back to your question. Like we all want connection. And along the way, connection hurt too much or they, it was too painful to want it. And so they had to stop reaching out for it. And so they find these other strategies of trying to, to not be alone, to get some connection that's in a, in a way that helps them feel safe. Yeah. Right? Even negative connection for a lot of them was connection in itself because it right. was yeah. just or, enough. Or Jonah being an asshole, like he's getting some kind of connection by being aggressive with his family and with his employees. But it's not really the thing that nurtures him. It doesn't really nourish him, but it's the best he could come up with. So we do honor that as a strategy, right? Like he, he right. did the best he could with what he had. And you got to look at the consequences of that. And even George the pussy, like that's incredibly destructive to always organize that way because he's there and he wants to make his partner happy and he'll do anything for her. But he's not really connecting with her because he's not really showing up with his own wants and needs ever because he's so worried about upsetting her. So he's absent of connection in the same way, even though he seems um, agreeable. The opposite. Dying to please. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a big cost for all of them in the extremes. Yeah. And I would say it a little bit differently about these uh, different quadrants and with, with the same concept. But I would say, you know, we don't want someone to be a dick. But if I said to someone, look, I need you to just take care of yourself and give a shit. You think that's a great idea. Like, take care of yourself. Make yourself the priority here and give a fuck. Like, just can you just do that for now? Like that seems reasonable. Now if you just only do that. Well, (laughs) and the same thing with the George and the pussy, you're like, Hey, this is a time for you to just step back a little bit 
make someone else the priority and just deal with the facts. Like don't fight it, like surrender to the facts, deal with the reality here, let other people be the priority, stay in the game. Like you're saying, I need you to be a little bit selfless. I need you to still care, but also be selfless. Don't check out, stay in the game, but it ain't about you right now. You'd say that's pretty cool. But if that's all you did, you'd be like screaming for that guy to show up once in a while, right? <laughs> and that's a good point in the book. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So you, then go ahead, David. Well, like we also bounce around like a guy will feel like, oh, I'm, I'm the victim here. And he's, he's pulling the dick card and then he gets caught out on that. And then he'll escalate and be more like an asshole. Right. And if right. that doesn't work, he'll collapse and be like, I can't ever do anything right. And he'll try to be the pussy to get you to take care of him. Or he'll be the right. like, it's all good, guy. Let's just move on. And he'll kind of douche out. So, you know, we're also we're always moving around this quad, these quadrants. Mm -hmm. We're not. Right. You're never I don't think one solid thing. I mean, I'm sure there are. <laughs> we won't. Well, say you'll, that. Tend to be to, you'll tend to move towards one in right. at work, one in a relationship. But, you know, the effects on men and this is you know, what we talked about earlier, which is where Kelly came in is like, we need to talk more about the impact of these men. Mm. Yeah. Like, what is the impact of these men on women in particular? So that's that was so fascinating to me because every time from the female perspective as reading it, right from the male perspective, you guys have a totally different viewpoint, I'm sure. But I would think about um, going back to the girls' names here. Um, when Annie or Shaylee and I would just... Oh, I've had that happen. Oh, that I've heard those same words. And you know that feeling. And in your mind, as a female, you're trying to, how can I solve this? How can I make him happy right now to make this not be a problem, become a bigger situation? How can I uh, de-escalate this? Because they're, you know exactly how it's going to play out. Then. That's awesome that you name that. Cause I mean, I hear, I've heard that so much in my clinical practice, like women then get put in the role of, I have to calm him down. What do I need mm -hmm. to do? Right. Like what role do I need to play? So this doesn't get worse, mm -hmm. which is super painful, right? Like then he's your responsibility. What? No, it's great. We love it. <laughs> <laughs> It's funny. And Kelly was a big part of this is like, we're trying to describe this. And by the time we're, you know, hundred pages into this, I'm like, we have these characters bumping into women at work and bumping into mm -hmm. you know, servers and that are women. And, and, and it just, you keep, looking at this bad behavior and you see the, the connection and the interaction where we're getting this right because it feels as bad as it feels in real life. Like, right. Just, right? Yes, like, it does it really that. feel that gross. Yeah. <laughs> right, and so, another side to it, right? Like there's always the woman's side where, um, which like you said, a lot of the guys don't see, a lot of the guys don't see that there is a reaction to, there's a consequence for their, their behavior. And that I think that's hard to step back and look at, but that's why we put the women in there and made them the way we did, you know, so you could feel that. Right. Yeah. I really like that because it really uh, is real life too. Um, you know, 
Mm-hmm. Obviously, this is based on a composite of people, but it is real life. And and in the book, you see these um, men suffering in those relationships because of their behavior and their choices. And you do see women leaving those relationships and how the men continue to spiral and, and start to realize how how they really messed up their relationships and then how they also were able to um, do some healing and, and save that, but still recognize those pieces of them, like that awareness. And you do talk about that in that book, in the book too, on how to be less dickish. So do you want to talk about trace a little bit? Kelly, will you jump in on this one? Cause I love the way that you've talked about it in the past. <laughs> my, my elevator pitch. <laughs> Here's my elevator pitch. So when you, um, where do you go when you're spun out? Which quadrant do you go to when you're triggered? Um, and the most important part of that whole thing is once you're triggered and you're out on the perimeter, number one, turn around and come back, like circle back and come back to the center. And the second part of that is if you're with somebody that's triggered and say you're in an argument with somebody and they're on the perimeter, you can set your own conditions and say, I'm not going to meet you there. Like I'm going to stay right here in the center and you can come on back and talk to me, you know, which puts all of the the whole trace into play there. You know, Kelly, I really like that because in the book, it talks about staying in the center or getting manipulated. And I think that is something Mm. that happens very easy in relationships when, when uh, men or in this case, men spin out of control. And as women, we go out to the perimeter and then we're manipulated by that behavior instead of helping pull them back too. And, you know, Mm -hmm. that's great. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, then what you were saying, like, I've got to, I've got to go out and take care of him so it doesn't get worse. Right. Like Mm -hmm. that's men will make you think that's the best thing you can do is soothe me or have sex with me or give me what I want. And then I'll feel better. And then you can feel better. And we're saying, no, 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 no. I'll feel better. No, let's not. Well, and I think it brings you to a place too, that like, not just men are triggered. Women get triggered and have their emotional patterns. And we do the same shit as you guys do in our own ways because of our own things. And so it's, if you could work on it together and say, I'm just thinking of just situations in my own family. Like, Hey, let's take a step back. Let's you're in a moment. You're having this reaction to this, you know, and we'll meet back in a minute. <laughs> yeah. The, the acronym trace I think is genius. And and Dave, look, you worked See, on I that didn't get that far in my reading yet. So I'm so, excited. Yeah. For the, next the, tra- <laughs> the trace acronym that Dave contributed to this book and used in his work. I mean, I've seen it and worked with it. And, and what you're describing is, you know, as Kelly said, there's the trigger, it sends you out. Um, away you go off. You you're, do what you do. You do what you've always done. Fuck it. When this happens, I always break something. So today I'm going to break something else. Like whatever it is you do and what you're describing, Finn, it's like, whoa, 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 that pause, that initial. Yeah. Like, all right. All right. So if I can just stop and see like that was a douchebag move. <laughs> that was a dick move. Yeah. What I'm about to do is what I've yes, always definitely. Done. And it was always an asshole move, and I see that now. Uh, all right, all right, all right. That's the the awareness or the pause that you're just 
talking about. Mm-hmm. And then the fun begins and you start asking questions and trying new things with curiosity and experimentation. But it 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 takes you know that initial awareness of what is happening, what what am I doing? Why have I done it like this? And and I think that what the book really sets up too is it puts you in a point where you can say in really simple terms, is what I'm about to do making myself the priority or someone else the priority? I mean, something as simple as that is an, a, yeah. a piece of awareness that makes a difference. And and also, and we see it used all the time. It's on the cover of every fucking book on every fucking shelf everywhere. It's like, do I give a fuck? Now we, <laughs> do I give a fuck, nope. right? And you're like, all right, all right. A lot of people have a lot of different color books, and they can all have a podcast, and they all say, I don't give a fuck, or I should, whatever. And we're saying, like, what the hell does that even mean? Like, stop the metaphor. What does it really mean? Like. What does it look like? It means you're about to be an asshole because you don't care enough, <laughs> right? Right, and you're not, and you're not necessarily tough and don't give a fuck. You're just being an asshole. How about that? <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. What do you- One thing that I usually say that Dave likes me to say is, uh, likes it when I say it is, own your own shit. Like you're the one that spun out, yes, triggered. Own your shit. That was my trigger. That wasn't Corey's fault. That was my trigger. I'm going to calm down and I'm going to yes. like try and come back to the center. So. It's never my fault. <laughs> never. Sure. It's never my fault. <laughs> so I want to trace we. I don't think we said it explicitly, but like trigger. No, you didn't. I've got triggered. a couple of them, but. Yeah. And there's a reaction. So most people live in the trigger reaction part of trace, the habituated trigger reaction cycle. And just they do the same thing as Corey is saying. And so the ace in the trace is awareness. Whoa, wait a minute. I'm I'm caught. I'm triggered. I'm about to do that thing I really want to do. I want to get curious. See what's getting touched in me, right? That's kind of the more therapeutic inquiry part. Like what is triggering? What is getting touched in me? What's the story I'm telling myself? Right. And then experimentation. I want to try something different this time. I want a different outcome. I don't want the same fucking cycle anymore. Mm-hmm. I'm bored with it. It's the same thing. It's old. So, yeah. And then life, beca- trace becomes kind of a way to move through life. Like we're noticing when we're activated, when we're triggered, how, how we're reacting. And then we're bringing awareness to it. Curiosity, experimentation. What's funny is like, Kelly, I've heard you say to Corey before in another room, like, uh, you're setting unreasonable conditions or some version of that. Like I've heard you guys had a conversation and you just straight up said like, uh, <laughs> I forget what's happening. We're being unreasonable. <laughs> I'm, not, yeah. I'm not meeting you under those conditions. <laughs> like I love that. It's such a healthy way to respond too. You must have it been is. on the phone, Dave. She must have been talking to someone else. <laughs> But right. But she's not saying, hey, you're being an asshole. Right. That's escalating. That's her being tricked. Instead, she's saying, like, I'm not doing that. I hear what you want me to do and I'm not doing it. And then a whole different conversation can happen from there. Right. Because she's just being clear. No. Setting a boundary. Oh, ah, yeah. Here we go again. Like this is. This is an interesting thing. Like we're talking about triggers and we have this acronym, but when Dave and I were writing this book, we're going on a tangent now. Are you guys ready to go on a ride? Like, yes. Let's go on a fucking ride. All right. 
So when Dave and I were going through this book with its two different personalities and, you know, Dave is, he's more concerned about his clients and I'm more concerned about fixing the fucking problem and let's go. Like we got to get this, you know, Dave, like different styles and different approach. And one of the things I was with, kind of had a hard line with was like, we can't have a book about assholes, douchebags, pussies, and dicks and fill it full of metaphors that people don't really understand or can be interpreted some ways. Like we have to hit this head on. Like it is like, here we go. So here comes this concept of boundaries. And I'm like, no, we are not like, no. And then there was like, but we need something about boundaries. I'm like, all right, I'll give you something about boundaries. Fuck your boundaries. Like it's going to be like, Fuck your boundaries. No one has boundaries. We don't have a bubble around this. I went and drew a line about around my house. It was blue. It looked like one on the map. And the lady next door was still a bitch. Like it didn't do. <laughs> like there's no goddamn metaphor. Like, and then this way, how long did this go back and forth for like a year? It didn't make the cut in the book. There's no he, wrote a whole, he wrote a whole section, which was essentially a brilliant rant against the use of the word boundary. <laughs> I can just see his emails. No punctuation. <laughs> it starts out with, this is how it starts. Boundaries, boundaries, fucking boundaries. <laughs> it's right. Just, uh, I want to read Boundaries, 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 Fucking Boundaries it, by Corey. It was, it was brilliant, and it should have been in the book. It had another great line in there. It was like, boundaries are things that people use as filler pages in shitty self-help books. But if you don't find a shitty self-help book, I guarantee you there's a section about boundaries because God damn it. What is it? A fucking line? Like what am I gonna do? The lines are magic right? word, Corey. I'm a line between me and Kelly. Don't cross my love. It's <laughs> right here. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> I no, don't even know what to say. That was the best ride I've ever been on, Corey. <laughs> I feel very windblown right now. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, sorry about that. But the point of all that is that we had to take a lot of metaphors out of the book, and boundaries was one of them. It maybe it should have been in, and so many people have found that word so useful. And just to shred it in the way Corey did, like I could, I couldn't do it. You're like you ruined boundaries for me, man. Uh, <laughs> we did, we did destroy it. <laughs> yeah, it was funny because that was in the the course of writing the book. The boundaries conversation was like it would, it got pretty intense. And yeah. it got deep, right? Yeah, I still believe in boundaries, just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> what? That's why we have a boundary right here. We need a boundary around boundaries. <laughs> like, yes. Right? That's, that's part of the richness of the book is we, were, we would grind it out with concepts like boundaries or like there were certain characters that I was like, this is what happens in this character's ride. And, and Corey and Kelly were like, nope, we can't do that. So, you know, we spent a lot of time like with three pretty strong willed people who have different worldviews, like trying to stay in this cooker together. 
until, you know, something got clarified. And I remember sometimes we'd be writing the book at Corey's house and I'd have to go lay down for an hour. Like, this is just... (laughs) Time out. Oh, come on. Come on, Dave. You had to go lay down for three days. (laughs) (laughs) We would just slaughter, like, uh, just 50 pages of the book that I'd spent a year writing. It's like, that's got to be cut. I'm like, ugh. (laughs) <laughs> like I'm gonna go cry yeah. now. Hey, hey Tina, there, there we had this great my sentences. <laughs> yeah. there, there, this is no shit, too. I like, can't lie. Like we wow. we were into this for like a year, going to, like on these characters. We're like something's got to go. Like we had to reorganize the book. Like we got issues, and one of the the issues was like just the organization of the message and we're like, we got to cut some some pages and it came to the point like we got to cut some characters and it was like that would have been sad yeah, yeah we're like, oh, did you around, like, like yeah our Tragic. favorite yeah. it's like having a litter of puppies and you're like too bad for <laughs> the one. nope the one with the blue collar <laughs> you gotta go. <laughs> it was really, really tough. And David's over there, like they're my babies. <laughs> yeah. Well, just reading the book, you just become so connected to them. I, mm-hmm. I wanted you know to hear more, and I, well, I, I don't want to ruin the ending, but I wanted to show up at the barbecue at the end of the book. Like I wanted to meet these people and watch them interact with each other and and compliment and balance. Yeah. I guess we we've got a lot of feedback from readers that like it's a character driven book. Right. There's a lot of action with the characters and their journey. And then we'll do like a two or three page like teaching section. But we didn't want to be preachy. We didn't want to be like, hey, we've got it figured out. Like it was more about like going on the ride and let the characters sort of show you through their own journey. I was totally like, what is Jonah going to do freaking next? Like, when are we going to find out what he does? (laughs) Oh, my God. And it just it just gets worse. Like, it's, <laughs> you know, it's funny, like you talk about these characters in the development. When Dave and I were going through this, we sent the manuscript to this professional editor that was working with us on just, you know, we had to hire some people because I don't, I don't capitalize words and shit like that. <laughs> That's so, me. I, I need an editor. Mm-mm. Yeah. So it's like, you know, sometimes you put like you put six fucks in one sentence. It's hard to know where to put the comments. <laughs> it's very difficult. I need a grammar professional. Like, I, I maybe fuck caffeinated. Like we had to ask these questions. So we <laughs> <laughs> my favorite is the use of absolutely though. That was my yeah, favorite. And it was even it was grammarly punctuated correctly. And I was like, mm, my heart. <laughs> <laughs> we get the notes back from this lady and uh, this editor, and she was great. But she says to us, like, this is just over the top. Like this is not like these, this is not believable. I mean, these characters are bad. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean they're like what do you mean i thought they were like pretty reasonable and you know she's like you know like this is just these guys are bad and i'm like give me an example and she says like that guy in the preschool like that's and i, and I said to her wait i did that like that was me. Like, that was- <laughs> 
and Dave and I are on the phone and she's like, yeah, this is just not believable. And I'm looking over at Dave and like, you remember this, right? I really did this. Like, this is really believable, right? <laughs> so that just answers kind of the questions that you guys are part of the characters in the book. Yeah. Just For that sure. one. Just that one. Just that one. one. <laughs> And I had to dig it from the past. <laughs> but it's been interesting to see like who, who was really affected by who. <clears throat> so a lot of people were affected like by the Cynthia character. And we had one guy that was an early reader right. and it totally blew him away. He's like, I had, I never really took in my impact with the way that I behaved wow. until I read Cynthia. And he's like, it, it totally changed his orientation and it motivated him to go in in a way that nothing had before. And this is a guy that had been in therapy had done personal growth work, but to really feel the impact was that really powerful intense. for me. Yeah. yeah. I, wouldn't, God. I, didn't, I didn't think about it. I mean, from a female's perspective, I connected with people that I know who have lived that experience mm -hmm. and thought about it from their perspective, but I didn't even think about how a man would perceive that as what they had done to souls. That's really yeah. fascinating. It's a big part of healing when you can feel the way that you're right. impacting. You can feel what they're feeling when they're being impacted by you. And that's a big moment in like couples therapy when a, someone who's angry is actually able to feel the impact their anger is having on their partner, like in their right. gut. And then they crumble because they feel like, oh my God, this is what I've been doing. Right. Holy that huge shit. realization moment. Yeah. And then everything can be different after that. Right. That's like so Jonas, Jonas starts to feel his impact that right. allows him to shift. So wow. it's, it's been, and then some, you know, what, what have you guys found for the readers, Kelly and Corey, like what stood out to them? What has stood up? Uh, I mean, we get, I get a lot of feedback about the Cynthia character, you know, cause women can relate to her. They know her, they grandma was, that was their grandma or their mom or whatever. Um, but, uh, we get, we also get feedback about trace, like people are using it and living it. And yeah, the, the Cynthia character is fascinating. And, um, because it's a book about men and it says it right on the cover, it is about men. People have this perception that it's for men if it's about men, but it's not. It's and not. It's for everybody. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's for everybody. And we uh, were careful in keeping that balance. And I think that's where Kelly really stood out in the, the process of creating the book was even just being an audience for us as we rant about boundaries and characters and we cut and slash and what's going on. It's like, and what does it feel like on the other side? Does it seem plausible? And right. Um, the Cynthia character is profound in the reactions that we get because the people react to it across all generations. Like oh, older, wow. people, older people, younger people, millennials, whatever you call old people, gen, I don't know. Can you call them boomers? I don't know what you call old people. <laughs> I don't know what's acceptable. I, I think I wrote a book about assholes and douchebags. I can call them old people. You can call them old people. <laughs> <laughs> that works. So, older people, younger people, whatever, it doesn't matter. When you see this and experience more than just see it, when you experience the Cynthia character, you find yourself thinking like, oh. But one of the most 
common reactions to the Cynthia character that I get is that people realize that this could be happening or is happening right in their own fucking family or their own neighborhood or right under their face. Like they're walking around it and they don't realize that this Cynthia character is not just alive. She's right there. Yeah. And there's another group. It's like that was me or it could have been me or I'm not going to be that. Like there's, Mm -hmm. there's something particularly profound about Cynthia And I think that part of that is, you know, we went back and forth with Dave on it. Like, what are we going to do with the other character with that's with Cynthia? And it's like, all right, we're going to tell him to fuck off, pound sand and don't come back. Like, (laughs) like we didn't bring him through the story arc. Like, that was a tough decision. Like, Mm -hmm. how how are we going to deal with that? And to still keep the light on Cynthia and that keep that feeling alive. Right. And is is someone irredeemable, right? That was a big question that I wrestled with because as a clinician, like I want to believe that everyone can corner and Corinne Kelly's feedback was like, Hey, there's a lot of people that won't and they Mm -hmm. don't. And whether or not they can or not, we don't know. We just know that they don't and they won't. And that has to be acknowledged. Right. And I grew up more, more in kind of a bubble, right? Like, so they had experiences I didn't have. So there were times where they would say, this is real. And I didn't want to believe that it was real. And that's like Corey's saying, we don't want to believe it's this bad. Right. 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 Well, and that bad. it's happening, not, not just to grandma or did happen to grandma, but yeah. right this very second yeah. in households right next door. Yep. Right, right over there. Yeah. Right in there. Yep. Yeah. And that's potent. And, you know, the other, the other piece that I get feedback on is guys seeing how much they're dicks. And like, that was my orientation around being like the victim, like something's being done to me. So what I'm doing is justified, right? right? Hey, you were 20 minutes late, right? Or you were flirting with that guy. So, you know, fuck you. Of course I'm pissed. I'm being reasonable because of what you did. (laughs) That's your fault. Right. Until you take accountability for what you did, I'm being a reasonable person because of what you did to me. Like a lot of men are like, holy shit. Like I live my life from this place Mm -hmm. Uh of like feeling like my boss is doing me wrong. My partner, my kid, whatever. And yeah. so that's been a lot of feedback I've gotten. And that's partly why the book is Be Less Dickish, is there's something about that stance right. that is way too prevalent. Absolutely. Way too prevalent. And it's an awesome title. Yeah. It's fantastic. <laughs> it's my favorite. I think it's interesting, though. I mean, I, I, is just how you identify the moments in yourself even like, as I was reading, it, you know, even as a female, I'm like, Oh yeah, I've, I've done that there. You know, you don't stay there, but you've been there. And so it just kind of gives you seeing the reaction of playing out for other people going, Oh, that is how I affected them. Yeah. Which is so powerful. Yes. You know, when you say you see this in yourself and uh, I hear too, but does everyone, like, does everyone see it in themselves? And and we got to write this book and what are we going to do about maybe this doesn't apply? Like, how do we do this? And, and that's really what led to 
one of the biggest moves in the book was, can we say this is an archetype? Like, this is a tough question. We're about to say, we're about to write a book and we're going to tell you that being an asshole is an archetype and being a dick is an archetype. And we have to like, what is the foundation for saying that this can be is repeated or people were doing this? What, how, what are we in like the 4,000th year of this world? I, I can't remember. I'm, I lost, we're about 4,000 years old as a species, right? Or a billion, whatever. Oh but does it, go, does it go back like something like that? And, and like Dave was saying, like, is this personal enough? Can you apply it yourself? Can you really say it's an archetype? And, and as we dove into this and started describing like the split between these characters on these axes, like, Oh, fuck. Yeah. Like not only is it, was it an archetype? It is an archetype and it's going to be an archetype when Elon Musk lands on Mars and we build it. (laughs) What are we going to have a Chick-fil-A? I don't know what they're going to have, but whatever it is, they're going to have, (laughs) they're going to have assholes up there too. Um, but the part two that I, <laughs> the part two that I liked is at the end when like Jonah, Jonah realizes his behavior, how it affects his children, and how and how he starts being mindful of what that looks like for his kids. And I liked the, I liked the um, what it pictured in my head with his rough hands and his child's smooth hands. You know that he is now aware of what that behavior looks like and how to how to change that from future generations following suit from what he experienced from his father. Yes. He, he stopped the lineage. Mm-hmm. Right. That, I love that part. That was Corey's beautiful writing in that section. Oh, I loved it. That was one of my uh, favorites. It, like, and, and he does. And this is the cool thing is he's still Jonah. He's mm-hmm. still kind of abrasive and he's dynamic and he's powerful. And that's another message of the book is you get to be you. We're not saying be different than what you are. We're just saying be less of these ways that are destructive for you and those you love. Be less dickish. (laughs) So um, we always ask our guests, like, how have you dared to rise in your life? So I know we've touched a little bit through the book, but is there anything more you want to share about how you've dared to rise? Kelly? Um, You're up first. (laughs) writing this book has been definitely a way to rise for me mm-hmm. finding my voice yeah. oh wow I love that yeah I completely I agree. think it was awesome that you got to give a perspective that wasn't maybe being fully realized sorry guys <laughs> <laughs> and look at these personalities that I have you know I've had to stand in the middle of them sometimes and be like oh, no. <laughs> yeah yeah. yeah. <laughs> Boundaries. <laughs> they <Yes>. are real. <laughs> I, feel, I feel like I'm getting punked. <laughs> I feel like a victim. <laughs> Come on back to the center, I'm a, Come on back to the center. I am a victim. <laughs> Come back to the center. I love it. <laughs> Come back to the center. So, Corey, you're not going to escape this question. How have you dared to rise? You know, this book is, is there's a lot of my journey in this book. And 
you know, not necessarily every story and every character. Obviously, that's not like this is a composite of a lot of characters and stories. And but I had to work with Dave through some really hard times and I had to work through some really ugly things and some pretty bad habits. And, you know, there was a lot that had to be we had to deal with. And I thinking about, you know, dare to rise and, and coming on here, like part of the things I learned from Dave is, you know, we were doing this work um, together. It took a lot for me to look back and say, wow, like I'm better today than I was then, or I'm better at this situation. I still had so much to do, but I'd say this is one situation where like I'm, I'm doing it better right now, or I'm feeling better about what I'm about to do or whatever it was. And, and, and it was a really bold step to be able to, to say to myself, like, it's okay. Like I fucked it up or I did this and I got more work to do, but I got to go and we got to move on. And I think the pinnacle of some of that with Dave um, was, you know, walking into Dave's office and saying like, this is it. Like, this is the end of the road. I got to quit drinking. Like I'm going to die and someone's going to get hurt. And a lot of people have already been hurt. I got to quit drinking and we got to do this because I got to live and see the other side of this shit. And this ain't working. And that was hard. Like that was really hard. And to be able to, you know, still be not just working with Dave, but be friends and, and it's like family. And now we're, have this damn book with David's like Michelangelo's David's dick on the front. Of it. <laughs> <laughs> like there's a, like it was, the whole thing's been a bold adventure and, uh, and being able to look back and say some of it didn't go my way along the way. And I'm responsible for that. I'd say that that was, that was tough, but we had to do it. We had to get here. Mm-hmm. Good. So awesome. And David, what about you? Hmm. You know, I held this book really close. Like I got support along the way in writing the book, but like it was, it was something that I felt like was mine and it was my, it was kind of my idea. And, you know, being a, being a psychotherapist, it's a really solo profession. Like it's a very private world. Like I don't talk about clients with other, other people, right? People come in, I do these deep dives with clients and then they go out. And uh, so I'd been overly kind of isolated, I think, in the book writing and my life in general. And so for me, for me to rise and say, I can't do this on my own and then go into a journey where the book got massively transformed. Like I had to let it go. I had to let it go of being mine. I had to let it go that I had all the answers. I had to let it go that like I knew the perspective of the client because Corey came in and said, Hey, I was watching you all those years that I was your client. Like, this isn't how you show up in the therapy office. This is how you show up. Like I had to let go of my idea of myself as a therapist. Oh, wow. There were so many perspectives that Kelly brought in about like the woman, the woman's part of the journey on being on the receiving end. And so I just felt like I was shredded in the process at times because this 145,000 word book that was mine got turned into something that was ours. And it was Corey who I knew really well, but he got to see me in my mess and my anxiety. Like Corey got to see me, Kelly did too. And that was really vulnerable because I felt some sense of obligation to like show up in some steady way 
That's his, but none of that happened. I was not steady at times during this process. And I also got to be loved and not being steady. Mm-hmm. And that was really powerful for me to feel like family with these two. So, you know, the journey of being his, his therapist, like it's very, that was moving enough. And then we shifted into this and we wrestled and in this book and like birthed something that I'm so proud of. Like it's a really good book. It is. And I'm not touting, I'm not touting it because it's mine. I think we're all amazed at what it turned out to be. So my rising was like learning what it is to really join together to create something much better than I could have by myself. Like the magic is in the connection mm-hmm. of the project. Yeah, which is I love the collaboration. Yeah, which is yes. of course the message of the book, which yes. means, which means I was writing the book <laughs> to learn what I needed to learn. You know that. Mm-hmm. Is that <laughs> funny? Course, it's just life. Universe oh, yeah. works. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh, I love it. Um, you know, I think the only the maybe the last question for us to talk about tonight is, what words of wisdom or advice would you tell either your younger self? or any of our listeners who may be one of these four archetypes? Mm. I would, you know, I'm going to jump in. Uh, I would say you're not bad. Like there's nothing wrong with you. Uh, You, you did what you had to do and you're doing what you, what you figured out how to do to minimize the pain. Like take a bow for getting as far as you did doing what you do. Right. It's okay. We all did it, Corey Kelly and I. And you can get interested and get curious about what you do and engage it. And it can be incredibly meaningful and transformative. And it's worth the ride. To me, it's the ride we're here to take as people. I love it. I do. Uh, Worth the ride. It is. I completely agree. Gosh, you guys are great guests. We've had so much fun and um, gotten real. Uh, so I, I know the listeners are going to enjoy this. I certainly have. And, and I know this book is going to be a topic of conversation the rest of my life. So thank you for that. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Yeah, yes. really fun. Yeah, thank this you. This has been really fun. <laughs> we should do this more often. <laughs> we should. I, I have a feeling we're going to be doing this again. Tina, that was absolutely amazing and epic. I know. I I think the just talking about being blunt about these different archetypes and and. Uh, the different men and how everybody kind of touches on that, but the laughter that goes along with that. And right? that there's so humor. Healing. Healing. Yeah. healing and being real about a situation for sure. Yeah. So there was so much. I loved it. It was great. I did too. I, I just love, I mean, there's this theme, you know, through the podcast, through um, the people that are on here, we're all searching for connection. And this book was filled with connection. And I loved how David even talked at the end about his moment to dare to rise was being connected to people instead of doing it on his own. And, and to Mm -hmm. me, that just, and sharing and collaborating the experience. Cause you know, we've, you and I've even talked about this, you know, thinking sometimes we have to do it all on our own and, and it's, 
and we don't have to. We don't have to. And asking for help and being present with other people is sometimes more powerful than what we could have done on our own. Yeah. So, so I think call to action is probably just building that connection and awareness. So bringing awareness to where you're at right now. And maybe if you're in one of those archetypes, Mm-hmm. Like, how can you not be? <laughs> or what can you do to move yeah. out of it? Right. Just don't. No, that's not real. That's like not Kelly real. was saying, come back to the center. Come back to the circle. <laughs> back to the center here. Um, be less dickish. Yeah. <laughs> no, bringing awareness to where you're at. And when you are triggered or when you are having one of these repetitive triggered moments, um, how can you make change? You know, what are the things you could do in that moment to, to be different or take a different route, I guess, mm-hmm. because the magic is in the connection. Yes. Absolutely. I loved that part. That was my, I wrote that down. <laughs> I loved it. I loved it. I, I just wanted to comment too on uh, both David and Corey, uh, their comments about that advice to their younger self, you know, take that a bow. Is- it's worth the ride. Yeah. And perfect for right now in this moment, because everybody's Mm -hmm. experiencing a lot. Mm -hmm. And at the backside of this and at the end of this, we can look back and go, oh, yeah, we learned lots and it was worth 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 the ride. Yeah. Worth the ride. (laughs) Well, I know this book is is going to be a topic of discussion for me for a long time. I just loved it and would encourage everybody to uh, go out and purchase the book. We'll include those links. I can't wait to download the Audible. I am (laughs) so excited for that part. Yes, I agree. So Finn, as always, you're so magical. I appreciate you stepping in and being a part of the podcast. Thank you for having me tonight. This was magic. And I'm so happy that I got to be a part of it for sure. Yes, yes. So I just want to thank the listeners for tuning in again. And as always, dare to rise. Riding downtown in New York City I know you wanna be there, I bring you away Party in the club like that track from Fitty Cause life is so good, let's go and vibe with me Riding downtown in New York City I know you wanna be there, I bring you with me This is what I'm doing, tell me that you wanna do it with me This is what I'm doing, tell me that you'll do it with me, baby Every day I'm doing it Myself and what I do, this is what I gotta do to prove myself to you, baby.